Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you would like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. Right. Well, again, good morning, everyone. We're starting a brand new series today called Hall of Fame. But before we do that, we just got to acknowledge it's been a big week here in America and across the pond, right? First in America this week, we had Laurel, 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 <laughs> Yanny, Yanny. Who heard Yanny? Anybody? Who heard Laurel? Few, okay. Uh, who doesn't have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, just go- Google it. Google it later, Google it later. Uh, and then yesterday we had the royal wedding. Come on, someone be honest. Who got up at like 4 a.m. and started watching, right? Any few of you, right? Let me, tell you, let me tell you a piece of equipment they have called a DVR now that enables you to sleep and fast forward through all the boring stuff, which was the whole thing. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it was good. It was good. I'm happy for them. Uh, it was a good, good day. But man, today we're starting a new series, and kind of our theme for this series is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it says this, therefore, let me just pause for just a second. If you're ever reading your Bible and there is a therefore, you always have to ask, what is it therefore, right? So it's saying, hey, the previous chapter had some information that you need to make sure you read before this. And he says, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, and the crowd of witnesses is what he's referring to in chapter 11, where this chapter lists out kind of those who are in the the hall of faith or the hall of fame when it comes to following God and his plan for us. So he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by this crowd of witnesses, To the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this. How do we run? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. I love that. That it says Jesus is the champion. He's the one who who authored our lives and our faith, and it says that he initiates and perfects our faith, our relationship with God. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. How many of you know you're in a race today, right? You're in a race. Life is a race. Life is challenging. It's difficult. Uh, Depending on the pace that you run at, it can be very challenging just to keep up with the different elements of life, with family and with career and and with God and your church and, and all the different things that we have going on. And I love this chapter because it says you are running a race. He doesn't deny it. He says that you are. But think about this, that there's a crowd of witnesses in Hebrews 11, list all of them out to think about this, that, that if you were, let's say, running the race through Ohio Stadium and there's 110,000 people in the stands and, and, and get this picture that there's champions of our faith that are cheering us on. I don't know about you, but that encourages me to think that, that people that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, that, that they're there in heaven, that Moses and David and Abraham and, and Noah and, and these heroes that are in the hall of fame and our faith are there cheering us on, saying, you can keep running, you can do it. So for some of you this morning, you may be tired and I just need you to know, keep running. Keep running. 
that someone's cheering you on, that Jesus, our champion, has, has paved the way for you to keep running. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. He says it's going to be difficult. You've got to throw off the weights, the stuff that's slowing you down. Why would you carry more weight than you need to? He says especially the sin that can so easily entangle our lives. But I think about the weight of worry and the weight of fear and anxiety. He says throw that stuff off. Keep your eyes on me. Keep running that Jesus is there waiting, that we keep our eyes focused on him and to think that the people who have gone before us are there in the stadium with us, cheering us on. I think it's amazing picture that God gives us and that, that should encourage us all this morning, that, that you're not alone, that others have gone before you, that Jesus has gone before you and he endured some difficult stuff too. And so if, if you're facing difficulty, if you're in a challenging situation, know that those heroes are cheering you on. And so this morning, we're going to pull some of these heroes out of the stands and we're going to sit down and, and to think if we could have a interview with someone who was in the Hall of Fame, right? Like to think if you could sit down with some of the greats in sports history and, and, and you could ask them some questions about their life and their experience and, and the, the, the things that they did to get to where they were and how they were able to get through life and to, to achieve the, the pinnacle of their sport. And, and in faith, these people have gone before us. What would they say to us if they could come down, if they could have a one-on-one conversation with you and over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at some of these heroes and what I believe they would say to us and what we can learn from their stories. When I get older and when my life is on the, on coming to an end, my hope and my prayer for me is, is that I would land in the hall of fame when it comes to faith. When it comes to my walk with God, when it comes to what I did for him and, and his kingdom, not just my own, but, but that God would look at me. I know that we're all going to stand before him someday and that, that we'll give an account for how we steward our lives and what we did with what God gave us. And if we leveraged you know, what he blessed us with, our, our talents and our gifts and our resources and our time, if we leveraged those things to make a difference for his kingdom. And it says that we will all stand account for that. And, and I don't know about you, but when he looks at me, I want to hear those words, well done. Kyle, well done. You weren't perfect. And Jess said amen. And you, 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 you made some mistakes along the way, but you know what? The effort was there and that you did your best and you, you used what I gave you to make a difference for me. And I think over the next few weeks as we learn what these people could teach us, those who are in the Hall of Fame, because that's where I want to land at the end of my life and that, that, that we can learn some things from them. So what will be said of our lives I think we all want our story to matter after we're gone, and I just want to tell you that you're writing your story right now. Right now. You're writing your story right now. The decisions that you make today determine the stories that you will tell tomorrow. Every little decision of your life, everything that we do is, is compounding upon each other and writing the stories of our lives. And so for us over this series, I want us to learn how we can write a better story for our future, that we will have a legacy that will live on besides us. So today we're going to look at Noah. And when I first started reading about Noah, I didn't know uh, what I was going to say. I've been waiting all week for that one. <laughs> Told the staff this week, they just roll their eyes at me. They're like, you're the old dad now that just like tells corny jokes and thinks they're really funny. Um, but we're going to look at the life of Noah today and give you a little bit of background and context. Biblical history of our Bible is about 6,000 years. 
uh, that we have biblical history. And Noah is ten generations after Adam, about a thousand years after Adam, about 3,000 B.C. is where his story takes place. And at this time, people were living a lot longer than us. And maybe you're kind of skeptical of Scripture and you go, how could that be? You know, that's why I don't believe the Bible. And, you know, how could Noah live to be 900, you know, plus years old and, and all these things and people lived so long back then, but I want to say this, this was the pre-sin condition, you know what I mean? Sin hadn't had enough time yet to really cause the, the destruction and devastation to our world and to our lives and, and the things that we now have and pollutions and all these things, and I'm not getting into a debate on what causes cancer or anything crazy like that this morning, but we have to, in the context, this was pre-sin, and so there was natural underground streams at this time, there was no rain, uh, Noah, again, lived 900 years, 500 years old before he had kids, come on, somebody, How you, you, it's worth the wait sometime, 500 years with no children, he knew what he was doing, right, and uh, and he had kids, and he's 600 years old when he began to build the ark. So you've all heard the story, probably, of Noah and the ark, and, and we, we get this picture. It's in my kid's Bible. In fact, I have a portion of that I'm going to read as we close out. But we get this picture like, like it's, a, it's a children's story. Man, this movie would be rated R, right? Like this was destruction. God was unleashing his judgment upon the earth. And so there was no rain. There was nothing going on at this time. And God instructs Noah to build an ark. And so if Noah could teach us one thing, and today I want to focus just on one thing that Noah could teach us, I believe it would be this, is that your life can make a difference. If Noah, if we could have a Hall of Fame interview with him, if he was able to sit down here today, he would say, listen, your life, everyone's life can make a difference. Every life counts. Everyone can be used by God to make a difference. In Genesis chapter 6, Verses 5 through 7 is where we're going to pick up his story today. And it says this, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on this earth. You ever said that to your child? Hopefully not. You know, but you think it sometimes, right? You're like, I can't, I, I, I can't believe I made you, right? I can't even believe that you're here, right? And so God is having this moment where he's looking and he's looking at his kids and his creation and he goes, man, they're so far from what I intended them to be. He was so sorry and it said this, it said it broke his heart that God was grieved at what he was seeing his kids do. It said this, I will wipe the human race that I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. You think about the state that the earth was in a thousand years in after creation and that God said there was, there was not one person that he could find. There was, there was no one that, that they were consistently and totally evil except Noah. Goes on in verse 8, he said, But Noah found favor with the Lord. So, out of everyone, Noah was the one who had favor in the eyes of God. How can you find favor in the eyes of God? Genesis 6 9 tells us, it goes on, it says, Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. 
How many of you say, I want to land in the hall of faith, I want to land in the hall of fame when it comes to following God and his kingdom? It says this, that he was righteous and blameless. That's, that's the goal that we're aiming for with our lives. And it says he was that because he walked in close fellowship with God. Not because he attended church every week, although it's very important and I'd love for you to be here, right? Not because he was doing all of these good things for people, right? They said everyone else was evil. Noah and his family, following the rules, it wasn't because he followed all the rules, it wasn't because he was adhering to a religion, but the emphasis that that scripture puts, it wasn't because of a religion that he was checking off the to-do list and hey, me and God are good because I went to church, because I did this, because I did this, I gave a little here, I did there, hey, me and God are good. No, it says that he was blameless, that he was righteous because not of a religion, but because of a relationship with God. And today, you and I, because of Jesus, have the same opportunity to walk in that kind of closeness with the Lord. That we can have that type of fellowship and relationship with God. Hebrews 11, if you rewind the chapter again, and I would encourage you over the course of this series, maybe even this week, to just read chapter 11 and it lists out these people that we're going to be talking about. And in chapter, chapter 11, verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Think about that impossible. There's no other way to please God except by putting our faith in him. And I'm telling you that Noah needed some faith, right? Again, he was 600 years old when he began to build the ark. That's that's challenging in and of itself. And it took 120 years to build this boat. You talk about faithfulness. Remember, God says build a boat and there's no water in sight. It's never rained before. And God says, I'm going to flood the earth. You need to build a boat. And for 120 years, Noah faithfully built the ark. And while he was doing that, he was preaching God's judgment and mercy, saying, hey, get on with me. Judgment is coming, I'm telling you. And it says the people scoffed at him, and, and they, they made fun of him. Imagine the, the discouraging days, right, that, you know, maybe year 50, he's going, a sprinkle. Can I just get a sprinkle? A mist, God, just give me a sign that I'm halfway through the ark here, you know, uh, are you sure this is going to happen? And imagine, you know, I I tend to embarrass my children already, but imagine Noah's kids, that here's this giant ship being built in their front yard of their house, and they're going, what is your dad doing? (laughs) He says he talks to God, and He's crazy, and so you can imagine his kids coming home from school going, hey, Dad, can, can we just burn that thing? It's not going to rain. What, what are you doing? 120 years of faithfulness, but Noah kept on trusting God. He kept on believing. He kept on serving. He kept on building, even though there was no sign. And I'm telling you, a true test of faith, which it's impossible to please God without it, is what you do before God sends the rain. It's what you do before God sends the rain. It's what you do before he fulfills his promise for you. It's what you do before he answers your prayer. It's what you do in the waiting seasons of life that truly see where our faith is. Look at your neighbor today and say, are you waiting? Come on, say, are you waiting? Are you waiting? Well, if you are, I have good news for you. That if you're in a waiting season, listen, just because it's a waiting season doesn't mean it has to be a wasted season. A lot of times we think that while we're waiting on God that 
that we're just waiting for him to do it. And when he finally does what we need him to do, when he finally answers the prayer, when our marriage finally gets to where we want it to be, when we finally get to the, 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 the amount that we need in our bank account, when we finally get our kids graduated, when we finally get out of the season, that then we'll be happy. But I'm telling you that a waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. And when you have faith and trust in God, you trust that he's doing something in the waiting season that you need for when you get out of the waiting season. You see, patience is the key to preparation in anything, right? I, I can remember, you know, growing up playing sports, and I just wanted to play in the game, right? But you'd practice all week for a two-hour game, you know? You'd have 12 to 20 hours of practice in just to play for two hours on a Friday night in a football game, right? Now you practice all that, but you had to understand that it took patience to prepare for what you really wanted to do. And so it takes patience in the waiting seasons. And preparation is key to seeing God's promises fulfilled. It's being fully prepared for what he has you do. He says you're running a race. You're running in this race, that you're running somewhere, that he's he's got intentionality of where he's taking you. And if we aren't prepared for his promises, we'll waste them. If you aren't prepared for what God wants to do when he blesses you, you'll waste the blessing that he has for you. So how you respond in the waiting season has a big part to play in the outcome that you'll experience. Urban Meyer's book is, is second to the Bible in, in, in my house. Uh, I'm just kidding, it's really not. But it's a great book. If you've never read his leadership book, it's phenomenal. It's really good. And he has this thing that, that he teaches all the players at Ohio State. It's E plus R equals O. That's the equation. Event plus your response equals the outcome that you will have. How you respond to any event in life will determine the outcome that you will have. And I'm telling you, in a waiting season, the attitude that you have, the persistence that you have, the patience that you have to allow God to do what he needs to do will definitely play a huge part in the outcome that you'll experience. Your response has everything to do with the experience that you will have. And God is doing something. He's working behind the scenes because God wants your life to make a difference too. Noah can say one thing, he said, your life can make a difference, and I believe that God wants your life to make a difference. In fact, the Bible says before you were even an idea in your parents' mind, before you were formed in the womb, that God began to lay out the plans for your life, that they were good plans, a plan to prosper you and to to bless you so that you could do amazing things for his kingdom. But I'm telling you this, if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to be different. I think Noah would tell us that. I had to be different. Noah had to be different and he was willing to be different. Again, it had never rained and he's building a boat. He was standing out not just because of his own life and and the message that he was preaching, but because he was literally building a huge boat and no one had ever seen water. And today I want to ask you that. If you want your life to make a difference, and I would think all of us would say yes, that when we get to the end of our days, we want to land in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to ask you, are you willing to be different? Are you willing to take a stand when others are sitting? Are you willing to stand up for God? And if you are, you have to be willing to stand out in the world. You see, this world is is contrary. It contradicts everything that Scripture tells us to do and who we are to be and what we are to stand for. And and I'm telling you that when God begins to raise you up, I I can guarantee it. There's going to be people who will begin to tear you down. There's going to be people in your life when you go, I'm taking a stand, many of you, since coming to Adventure Church, your lives are changing and you're, you're, you're changing the way you live, you're changing the things that you used to do and, and I can promise you 
that, that you will face opposition from people who you thought were your close friends, that they just don't get it. Why are you doing that? Why are you showing up every Sunday? Why do you, what do you mean you gotta go home? Why do you, why you gotta go home early? What do you mean you're not coming out with us anymore? Why, why aren't you doing the things, is it because of us, right? You're gonna face this opposition, but I'm telling you that when you stand for God, his ways are very different than the world's ways. And so you're gonna stand out. So you gotta be okay to stand out. And Noah would, would tell all of us, I, I stood out a little bit. I had to be willing to be different so I could make a difference. And it doesn't change for us in today's culture that we too are in a culture that was much like Noah's where it seems hard to find others in our workplace and in our neighborhoods and our families and our friendships that are really passionate about serving Jesus, passionate about the things of God. And so Noah was criticized for being a crazy man who thinks that God speaks to him and was, was building this boat, again, with no water in sight. And I can promise you that when God raises you up, expect people to tear you down. They will do it. So are you willing to be faithful when others won't? To walk out of the party? To stop the gossip around the water cooler at work? To, to stand up for injustice in the world? To fight for the unborn? To stand for godly values in a morally corrupt world? Are you ready to be different so that you can make a difference? Listen, if you're not ready to face opposition for obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God because you will face opposition. Today I would tell you, don't worry if you are facing opposition. It probably means you're on the right track, but I would worry if you're not. Worry if you're not facing opposition. Worry if you don't stand out. The scriptures say that we are like aliens in this world. And how many of you know aliens are supposed to look a little bit different? You gotta be willing to be different to make a difference. What are some areas that we can make a difference in? I think what we can learn from Noah is that you can make a difference in your family. Your number one sphere of influence. I, I love Andy Stanley's quote. He says, in life, it, the most important thing that you'll ever do isn't something that you'll accomplish, it's who you'll raise. It's not about checking a box, hey, I did this. It'll be who you raised and the investment you made into your kids and how you raised them. That's why it was awesome last week. We had 20-some kids that were being dedicated to God who parents are saying, hey, look, we're gonna give it our best. We're gonna give it our best to try to raise them in, in this world that we're in with the values of God, that they'll stand for biblical values. And I'm telling you that you can make a difference in your family. In Genesis 7-1, it said, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, he had built the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Think about that. We read earlier, he said, There was no one righteous but Noah. That meant his family too. His own kids weren't even obeying God. His own kids were probably mocking him again, going, Dad, you're crazy. What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And it says, because of your righteousness, Noah, that I'm saving your family too. Because of you, you can have an impact on your family, that your faithfulness impacts your family, that the favor, that the blessing of God can't help but to leak onto those around you. In Acts 16.31, when the, the early church was getting started, it said that they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And when you look at that word household in the Greek, the word is okois, and it means sphere of influence, that your salvation will impact those that you have influence with. 
You can make a difference if you're willing to be different, and you can make a difference in your family, those that you have influence with, that God will use his relationship with you, the things he's doing in your life, the favor, the blessings give you to impact those around you. I hear often that people say, well, well, faith is a very personal thing. Show me that in scripture. Show me it in scripture. That it's personal, that I don't, that it, it, it's something just for me, that I don't want to go blast it out there. And I'm not saying that, you know, again, I, I grew up in a church that would say, take your Bible to school and stand on the lunch table and just start, you know, shouting down. I'm like, hey, it's not me, man. That's not how it's going to work. I believe that oftentimes that God uses our relationships with people. But if you're not willing to make a difference and to leverage your influence for the kingdom of God, what are you doing with it? That's what we're going to stand account for. You had influence with them. They were your friend. They were your family member. They were your children. And you, didn't, you never even prayed with them. You never opened the scriptures with them. What are we doing with the influence that God has given us? What kind of legacy will you hand down to your family? Man, it convicts me all the time. I believe that, that, that even what I'm doing here at the church, very important. But the most important thing I do, the greatest vision casting I do is what I speak over my children. What I pray for from my kids. Because that's my legacy. That's the responsibility God has given me that no one else can do. I tell people now, you know, I don't, I don't travel a lot. I don't do a lot of those things because my kids are at an age where I need to be home. That God can get someone to speak at another church and to do different things and to travel here and to travel there. But he can't get anyone to stand at first base and help coach the t-ball team. No one can step in for dad. There's no one else that can be dad. If I'm not dad and I'm not there, then then I'm not there. And so we can make a difference in our families, and I believe that's the place it has to start first. And that challenges me. What kind of legacy am I handing down to my kids? Who will they be when my life is over? Will they care about what landed me in the Hall of Fame? You can make a difference in your family, but we also see that we can make a difference in future generations. It said that that entire generation was saved because of Noah. And when you think about this, because of Noah, you and I are here today. That Noah essentially saved mankind, that, that your life can make a difference with your, with your spouse and with your kids and your grandkids and great-grandkids and on and on and on. And I always think about that when families begin to plug in at our church. It's not just that family, it's the generation. It's now that, hey, mom and dad were never in church. Now they are, and God's doing something in their life, but now their kids are in church. And to think if God can get a hold of their hearts right now, that how their life will be changed, that, that maybe they won't go through some of the things, things mom and dad went through because they know every week they're hearing God loves you, Jesus is your friend, and he has a plan for your life. They're hearing that every week, right? So a generation has changed, and now because my kids are in it, now their kids will be in it. And their kids will be in it, right? To think about that your life can make a difference in your family and that family will impact generations to come. Your life can make that kind of difference. I think one of the biggest lies that the devil uses is he says, right, this is the, the message of the world. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. Think about that message. Just take care of you. Just worry about you. That's all that matters in this world is, is satisfying yourself, fulfilling your own desires, and that's no way to get into the hall of fame. That's no way to leave a legacy. Jesus, in fact, says it's completely opposite, that if you really want to make a difference in this world, you've got to think about the next one more than you do this one. 
that those who have made a difference, who are in the hall of faith, who are the crowd of witnesses cheering us on this morning are the ones who thought less of themselves and more about God and the thing that he has. And I'm telling you, we're called to be culture changers. We're called to be light in the world. People, my faith is personal to me. No, it's not. You're supposed to be a light in the world. Remember that song you sang as a kid? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? It didn't say let it shine in my house. Let it shine when, when I'm at church. It says, no, you let it shine all the time so that people can see. Every morning I drive Riley to school because I don't trust our busing system. Uh, I mean, that's just the reality. Not that they're bad drivers or anything. I just don't trust my daughter on a bus with only one supervisor at the front. Uh, just not. So I drive her to school every day. And every day I reach my hand into the back seat and I grab her hand and we pray. And I say, Lord Jesus, protect Riley today. Send your angels around her and her school. You keep her safe. Help her to have a great day. Help her to have fun. And I said, Lord, I pray today that she would listen well. That she will learn new things. That she will love others the way that you love us. And that she will be your light in a dark world. And Riley can tell you that prayer. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. I'm going to love. And I'm going to be a light. Because that's what it is. And it's amazing. We pray that every day. Where we get notes from the teacher that, that, that say she's a light. She's a joy. She brings passion to her environment. She's full of life, and she talks a little too much sometimes, but she's a light. She's a light in a dark world. That's what God wants for you and I, that we can make a difference in this world, but you got to be willing to be different. It's not just about enjoying your life. It's just not about you anymore. When we come into the kingdom of God, it's about his kingdom, and I promise you this, you put God's kingdom first, you will enjoy every second of it. You'll never regret what you do for God, what you do for your family, what you do for the next generation. We can also make a difference for God. 6-9, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth, and he walked in close fellowship with God. That Noah walked with God when everyone else was walking away. Noah was not without sin. He wasn't perfect, but he stayed in relationship with God. He stayed in fellowship with God. It was a discipline in his life. I think that God is looking for those now because we're in a similar time as Noah was in, in a wicked world. And God is looking for someone that he can give his favor to. That God is looking for someone that, 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 that he can bless, but he has to be able to trust them with what they'll do with the blessing. That's why a, a waiting season is not a wasted season because when you get the blessing, what will you do with it? When the favor is finally given to you and the blessings begin to come, what will you do with it? How will you spend it? How will you invest it? How will you use the giftings that God has given you? And he's looking for someone that he can trust with financial resources. He's looking for someone who will invest their time to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him I love that picture that God's looking think about that that God is looking for someone that he can strengthen that God is looking for someone that he can bless that God is looking for someone who he can trust with his blessing and his favor and my prayer for you and my prayer for me is Lord don't skip over me don't skip over me I'm not perfect Noah wasn't perfect but God I'm pursuing you God, I fall short every day. I'm thankful for your mercy and grace that enable me to keep going day after day. But God, my prayer is that when you look for someone that you can strengthen and bless, that when you find me, you'll stop. That you'll find favor 
in my life, that you won't skip over me, and it's my prayer for you, is that he won't skip over you. God is looking. I think too many people, you know, God is this kind of get out of jail card. And they only call out and they only really seek God and pursue God when they need him. When they're in a difficult spot and, and, and we say these prayers, God, if you save me, I'll serve you. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll never do it again. God, if you can just help me to avoid the consequences of my actions, then, then I serve you. I promise, God, I promise. And here's the thing about God. You may be able to get away with that in our earthly relationships, but the Bible says that God sees straight through all of that and he he knows our motive. He knows our heart. And today, my prayer is that you would begin to trust God in a way and and walk with him the way Noah did. And again, it's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about being perfect. It's about saying, God, I'm going to commit to be in relationship with you, to be in fellowship with you. And just maybe, just maybe that God will see a group of people at Adventure Church that he says, I want to pour my blessing on that church. I want to pour my favor on that church. A couple other things I think Noah would say to us is this, it's never wrong to do the right thing. I think he would say that if we were in an interview, hey, what would you say to to this group of people today? No, it's never wrong to do the right thing. And even though it seems like others are getting away with ignoring God, and doing their own thing, and that you see them being blessed, and you see this happening, and you're going, they're not living for God, and all those things, and their their desires are being met, but I'm telling you, it does not end well for those people. Proverbs 14, 12, it says, very simple, there's a way that seems to be right, seems right. He says, but in the end, it leads to death. You will never regret doing the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Even when others are succeeding around you, it's never wrong to do the right thing. So, do the right thing. Always do what's right. I think Noah would say this, be selective with the voices you allow to speak into your life. Be very selective with who you bring into that inner circle. With who's counseling you, with who's giving you information, with who's praying, encouraging you, all those things. Who, who are those people? You should be very selective. My kids have selective hearing. Anybody else's? Very selective. Oh, sorry, Dad, I didn't hear you. What do you mean you didn't hear me? I was screaming at the top of my lungs and you were in the room next to me. I I just didn't hear you. Tunes you out, right? They're very good at it. But some ways in adults, we need to learn how to have selective hearing because here's the deal. You get to choose who you listen to. You get to choose what you listen to. You get to choose what you feed your life with. And Noah would say, listen, I had everyone but me was against me. He preached 120 years while building the ark, God's judgment and mercy. You can get on the boat. Who wants to get on the boat? Not one convert. Not one. His kids got on because they had to, right? You get on the boat. Well, come on, Dad. Not one, but he was still faithful. He was selective. You know whose voice that he heard the most? God's. He heard his voice. He was the one he turned into. He was the one that he listened to. And I want to tell you the same thing. Don't listen to the haters in your life. When you stand up for God, expect opposition. It's going to come. Tune them out. 
Don't listen to the haters. Get in an environment, get in a life group, get in a place where you're going to be fed with truth, encouraged for standing up for God. Today I want you to listen to his voice to you. What he's saying to you, you can do it. I am with you. It's never been done before. Be the first one to do it. That's what he's saying to you. That's what he's encouraging you with. It's never too late to do the right thing. You may be getting up in your age and you maybe have wasted. You're going thinking about your legacy and what will leave behind. You go, it's too late for me. It's never too late for you. As long as you have breath in your body, it means that God can still do something great. Begin stewarding your time, stewarding your resources now, allowing God to do something great with your life so when it's over and you stand before him, he'll say, well done, my good and faith. The past is the past. I forgave that. What you did with the knowledge that you had when you got it is what made the difference. So today for you, listen to that voice. Make a change. Start today. Start now. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Verse 7 of chapter 11 says, By faith Noah, when he warned about the things not yet seen, the holy fear, built an ark to save his family, and by faith he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. By faith Noah did what God called him to do. He finished his race and now he's in the hall of fame cheering you and I on, saying you can do it too. You can make a difference, but you gotta be willing to be different. Start with your family. Allow it to impact generations, your sphere of influence. Man, and allow God to speak to you. Don't listen to anyone else. Obey him, be faithful to him. Just takes obedience and faithfulness and trusting God. And when you do that, when you do what's right, you can trust God with the results. 120 years he waited, but God came through on his promise. And if you're faithful and you're obedient, he'll do the same for you. The band's coming. We're going to close out. I want to read to you this passage that's uh, from my kids' Bible that we read with them. And it says this, giving an account of Noah's story. It said, when the flood was over and the boat landed on top of a great mountain, as soon as, uh, as, soon as it was safe, God said, out you come. And so they did, everyone skipping and dancing onto dry land. This is when my son would be peeking in, trying to see the picture in the Bible. He said, the first thing Noah did is he thanked God for rescuing them, just as he had promised. And the first thing God did was make another promise. He said, I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, see, I have hung up my bow in the clouds. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer, God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up to the heart of heaven. You see, today you go, I'm not perfect. I can't be Noah. I can't live up to this. You don't have to because of Jesus. You see, you can never be the difference maker God wants you to be until you see God for who he really is. You can't be until you see. You've got to see God as who he is. He's a loving father, a gracious dad, 
a merciful God who calls his children into relationship with himself. And he's saying, if you can learn one thing from Noah, get close to me. And I invite you to do so, just as you are. With all the sin, with all the baggage, all the junk, come close to me. You see, God so loved the world that he sent his only son into it. And that he unleashed his judgment on him. He unleashed the fury of hell on his son. So he didn't have to do it on you. That's a God that's worth giving your life for. That's a God who's worth serving. That's a kingdom worth investing in. The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel message that God loves you. He's a gracious God. He's full of mercy with arms wide open. Ready to embrace you. Inviting you into relationship. Inviting you to be forgiven. Wanting to set you free. To give you a purpose. And to use your life to make a difference. Would you stand with me today? We're going to sing this song. And I want you to believe what you're singing. Okay? Because this is key to me. This is really what I felt God said today. This is I can always encourage you and hopefully inspire you to change. But I'm telling you, you, you got to get this through. You have to, in order to be you got to see, okay? you got to see yourself how God sees you. You have to see yourself as a child of God, that he is for you and not against you, that you are who he says you are. You are forgiven. You can be free. You can make a difference. And all God is asking from you is a faithful and obedient heart to say, God, palms up. Here I am. I surrender. I ain't got a lot to give you, God, but here it is. And God goes, that's all I need. That's all I need. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your mercy today. I pray in these moments as we sing this song, God, that you would do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, come. God, I pray that you would convict, but challenge and encourage us that we would know that we are a child of God, that you love us and you desire to use our life to make a difference. In Jesus' name.